Hello, everyone. This is Irit Izips, your customer success strategist from CSM Practice. And on this channel, as you know, I love talking about innovative approaches to customer success. And I'm very happy to let you know that I have Phil Hobden, who was the shortlisted nominee for customer success innovation in the Customer Success Excellence Awards in EMEA in 2022. Hello, Phil. Hi to you and hi to all of your listeners. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you today because literally, you know, there's so many companies where I talk to and they have this challenge that you were able to crack the code on. And I'm just going to quickly recap it to our listeners. You know how companies just launch a product and they struggle to get people just use it or engage with it in a numerous use cases and really just crickets. And that results in a higher rate of churn. And when you worked at Capitalize.com, essentially they had gone through a similar challenge, but you were able to take on a fairly innovative approach and decrease churn from 15% to 5%. And the program you launched was adopted by 85% of the end users. So I can't wait to kind of share what have you done, unfold that story with everyone. Yeah, look, it's been an interesting journey. When did you join Capitalize? So I joined Capitalize back in 2019, I think it was, maybe the tail end of 2018. I've been working with some fintech businesses before, and I've got a real passion for this space and working with accountants. I'd known the team at Capitalize for a while, and it felt like a very natural fit. The challenge they were having is, is they needed someone to come in and help them with this adoption, work out how we could turn what's historically been free customers into paying customers, and then get those paying customers to stay. Okay, so and, just to set the stage, they had a SaaS solution that they launched around what year? The SaaS solution was around 2018. The, the business had launched a solution back in 2016. Got it. So they, 2018, they launched the product. And like most product-led companies, they decided to do a freemium to premium to increase the number of end users opting and creating a login into the system just to show that there's a use case. The problem was that the once they logged in, what happened? Did they leave the platform immediately never to come back or was it something else? No, it was kind of worse than that. Like oh. if, if people leave, at least, you know, they're satisfied or they're not happy or that or there's a challenge. Mm -hmm. What was happening was they were becoming dormant. And the biggest challenge we had was was taking these people that were there that had the customers that had the potential to be great customers of ours and helping them engage and use the service. Like, what do you mean? Yeah, so so if I talk to people what Capitalize did, at Capitalize, we helped businesses get funding. So we were an aggregator of lenders. So an accountant would come to us and say, my client needs funding. We would then go to a panel of lenders, find the best couple of deals for that client, and then the accountant would help facilitate that finance to that client. But traditionally, how this was done in the UK was needs based. So I would, my vehicle would break down, for example, I go, I need a new van. I go, right, I need to get some money for a new van. So the customer would go to the bank, the bank would give them the money. There you go. It was on a specific need. But where we weren't seeing in the UK and the behaviors we weren't seeing that we needed to drive was 
accountants having proactive conversations with their clients. So actually turning around to their clients and saying, what are your growth plans over the next 12 months, 24 months, whatever? And how can we help you facilitate that? Now, the answer isn't always funding. There's other ways to facilitate growth, right? But in a lot of cases, it was funding or funding would help. So it's turning something that was reactive to proactive. And that was kind of how the platform was being used. It was being used reactively rather than proactively. And what we wanted to do was turn it into being a proactive platform where people were using it on a more regular basis and therefore getting better value out of what we were doing. Wow, that's a big challenge. Okay, so how do you tackle something like that? How many accountants did you have on your platform at that point? And what were you trying to hit in terms of goals for year one? Yeah, it's interesting. So I think we had like uh, 3,000 accountants that were using the platform around that point. But again, a lot of them were dormant. That doesn't mean, by the way, that there wasn't value in them. There absolutely was. And we were seeing stuff from them, but it was very ad hoc once or twice a year. Mm -hmm. You imagine you've got, say, a 500 clients. 50% of those clients will never borrow money, or certainly at that point. So that lent, that did mean, though, that 50% would borrow money or have borrowed money or be open to borrowing money. Now, if you're only doing one or two deals a year, that's 248 of your clients in that 500 client analogy that, that weren't, that were probably going elsewhere and probably getting worse advice. So it was about engaging them. The numbers were, we had our growth number in terms of kind of, we were looking to, to bring on five to 10 new firms a month. I think that was the number. It's quite a while ago now. But we wanted to move from a freemium to a paid model because the other challenge is if you've got bits of software you don't use, look at your phone right now. I think everyone that's listening to this will be able to look at their smartphone and see three or four pre-apps that they've downloaded over the past 12 months that they used once and went, yeah, don't need to do that. But if you're paying for something, you become sharply focused on using it and getting value from it. Thus, we wanted to convert those non-paying customers into paying customers. Got but to it. do that, we had to unlock how to make it work for them. And that was the challenge. Okay. So insofar, you had thousands of accountants. Most of them would use the application haphazardly about once or twice a year. And you wanted to increase that to maybe four or five times a year by educating them about being proactive with their customers. and. You were also thinking, so that was one, educate the accountants. And the other premise is that maybe what we do is we scratch off the premium to premium approach and we only have a premium version. What did you guys do first? Did you turn into the education piece or you turned off the premium offering first? We didn't turn it off as much as we created two different service levels. So if you were free, you didn't get any service no no customer success at all really you got like a platform that you could use and you could dial in but what we wanted to build was value and that value in terms of the value to you the business but in terms of to your clients as well and that's where the education piece that's the kind of work that i did and where that came in it was about building that value and about building that package that we could go out and talk to accountants and firms about and say hey actually if you sign up with us not only will you get a bit of software, not, but we'll also give you a bit of software that's going to help you get revenue because it's a monetizable service. But also we're going to educate you and show you how 
to make this a service and to actually how you can talk to your clients around this financial stuff. So we had to give them confidence and confidence comes from education and education and and knowledge. So we had to build their knowledge, to build their confidence, to enable them to feel free to have conversations, to bring it up with more clients, to utilize the platform. And that's kind of where we started was actually, if we're going to sell this as a premium model, what do we give them to make it premium? And that's the question, because it's the technology didn't change. The technology at that point was the same. We introduced some great innovations down the line. But at that point, the technology was the same, whether you were free or, or premium. We needed a differentiator, and the differentiator was education. Mm. So we spoke to a couple of firms, and we said, what's the blockers? What doesn't work? What What's stopping you? And it turned out it was comfort. It was knowledge. It was, you know, we don't know enough about this to be able to talk about this. So therefore, we don't want to talk about it. And that was kind of where we started to go, hold on a second, there's something here. If we can educate and empower them with knowledge, we can get them comfortable and then they'll go out there and be advocates for our product. I think that's really smart that you actually spoke to your customers to just say, hey, what would it take to be more proactive with your customers? So now that you have identified the need, you identified the how, you're the head of customer success at this point. Who else was part of this initiative and how long did it take you to launch and what did you end up launching? So the education program started as something as simple as a PowerPoint slide deck. It was what was the bare minimum we could do to start to educate. So can we give them a PowerPoint slide deck that they could run? And we're like, no, that doesn't work because they can't, they don't know it. And one of the great things about early days at fintech businesses is that you have all your money and all of your kind of ideas going to growing customers. You throw the kitchen sink at businesses at the beginning. So we we decided that the best way to do this was to go and deliver some training face-to-face in the office. Oh. But who do we do that to? So the next challenge was defining what the rollout would look like. And it was very clear that if you gave this to one person, you have a single point of failure. So if you have a single point of failure that you've already lost. You, at some point, that person's going to get busy. They're going to lose interest. They're going to be, something else is going to come along that's more exciting. So what you do is you build a team. And so our concept was, and this didn't come from me. This was kind of like where I joined the business, but the concept was very simple. You put a champion that kind of is the person that wants to launch the product in the firm. So it's the partner. It's the director. It's the guy that goes, yes, I'm going to pay the bill. Fantastic. So you've got a sponsor. And then underneath them, you put a champion, someone that can roll it out, someone that wants to take the project and roll with it in the business. And underneath them, you put a team of three or four people, because then you've got someone driving it from the top to someone in the middle that's then driving a team. And you've got a load of people that are engaged in the product. So when we define that, we said, well, the best way to do this is to put them in a room and win hearts and minds. So we built a, a pretty basic slide deck at that point went through what the product was and why it was important to clients. So we had an idea of what we wanted to do, but it was pretty early days. And it worked really well. They loved us coming on site, delivering a training course, being there for two and a half hours. It's an expensive time. Five part five people in the accounting firm for two and a half hours each is expensive if they were to charge that out. But they saw benefit in it. And they came out of that session inspired a bit. And we gave them freebies and all of that. And all that stuff always kind of helps. People walk out with a water bottle and notebook and they go, hey, that was a good session. But it started something. And we realized that after we'd done a couple and we we tested it with a couple, we're like, there's something here, right? 
they like the education. They like the education on site. They like the education being there. There was something missing. And, and the thing that was missing was there needed to be something to underpin this. People learn in different ways. Like I learn very visually. Some people learn by reading. Some people learn by doing. There needed to be something to underpin this as well. So we realized that we actually need the multi-channel approach. We need to build some online learning that complemented the on-site learning. And because we could only do so much in two and a half hours, it's a very big topic. Like, like you could go into explaining what invoice finance was, or you could go and explaining what trade finance was, and you could lose two days just to that alone. We realized that we needed to give them something to do beforehand. Mm-hmm. So we built an online training course. Again, pretty basic, pretty simple. But it covered off all the block, or it covered off the regulation. We and we made the online learning a condition of the face-to-face learning. You couldn't attend the second one without doing the first one. It was basic stuff for those days. But what it did was it started people on that journey. They did it, they engaged, they started to learn, they got interested. We went on site and then we did this training course, like face-to-face, built this kind of whole prestige around this education that we were giving to them for nothing, by the way. We weren't charging them a separate fee. It was all part of the SAS fee. So we had to make it work because otherwise we were losing money on each customer. And the idea was after that session with the structure that we built, with the online learning, with the training, that they would then go out and feel more comfortable in having those conversations. What were some of the initial results that you've seen? We saw adoption. So what we wanted out of it at first was adoption. We wanted more people logging into the platform. With freemium, people would log in once every three, four months, maybe, if they needed to. We were driving people to log into the platform and use the platform to have conversations. We realized also, though, that we need to put some resources. We chucked a load of resources on there as well. So if you imagine that actually the best way to get people to log into a platform is to actually put everything that they need on that platform. It sounds really simple, but most people don't do it. They'll stick it on a website or a FAQ. But if you put that behind the login of a platform, you have to log into a platform to get to it, which, again, is a great way of getting people to engage with the platform. Then if you make that platform a bit more dynamic and have dashboard that says how many clients you've got going through funding and how much money they're, that they're looking to get, that makes it more dynamic because then you're starting to gamify it a little bit. You can kind of see what's happening. So we noticed the adoption curve was absolutely taking off. More people were logging in on a regular basis. And that led to more conversations happening, which led to more customers being helped. It sounds really easy. I mean, that probably that first bit was about a year and a half's worth of work. And just as we thought we nailed it, just as we were like, yes, this is it. On-site, training, real life, touching, like being in a room with people, motivating, inspiring each and every person to go out there. COVID struck. And then like everything we did was like, we can't do most of that anymore. We can't do on-site training. What do we do? And so we had to go back to the drawing board for a second time and kind of redo everything in that digital COVID world. What have you done once the corona hit? Did you switch over to live Zoom training with the entire accounting team perfect yeah we did i kind of had about two weeks to rewrite everything and make it take something that was very touchy-feely in a room whiteboards post notes bits of paper on a desk and turn that into something that was digital and something that was remote 
and something that can engage people in very different positions. Like some people were had great home office setups like we've got. Fantastic. Other people, not so much. Other people were crammed into living rooms with their partners on the other side. The so kids. we had to, and the kids and the dogs and the cats and the underwear in the background and all of these things that we had, like it was, it was, it was insane. But again, but it forced us to elevate it to the next level and say, actually, so two and a half hours live like this is like five hours in a room. Yeah. It's so much more intense. It's so much more tiring. It's so much more. And as a presenter, it's so much more on me as well. So the first thing I realized is I couldn't do this alone. I had to start empowering other people and bringing other people up to do some of these sessions. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, it was, I was going to struggle just from the energy levels and being able to do this. But secondly, we had to rewrite everything. We had to look at it and go, okay, how can we make something that is is live into something that's kind of remote? Yeah. And that forced us to be creative. It, it forced me to pretty much rewrite everything from the ground up and look at different ways. What I decided to do was actually take a load of stuff out that was okay and put a load of stuff in and kind of make more exercises, make more fun, make more interactivity and try to bring this to life. Because I realized that actually now not only was I trying to inspire people to learn something completely new, but I had to inspire them to be positive and upbeat about it in what was probably not the best time to do it things were going crazy globally but it reshaped the business interestingly at that point we then started to look at bringing on rather than just bigger firms because that's the key thing when we started to do this we were going into one firm with five or six people Mm. in that firm having those conversations but those are only a proportion of the accountancy firms there's loads of accounting firms there's just one two three people in the whole practice so you couldn't do that what we built was a way of doing this so a kind of almost like this is for that type of firm but then for this type of firm we need to build something else and we need to build a session which is more like an open coaching session where we have five or six different firms in the same room at the same time wow and that's challenging right because people are less open in those environments how do you make people be comfortable sharing some vulnerabilities with other people that effectively are both their peers and potentially their competitors. Yeah. And the answer is you just ignore it. You just ignore all of that and you just force it through activity. Like we did uh, most innovative things I did in this whole system of COVID was I introduced a, a confidence scale, like at the start and the end of the call, how confident are you talking to your clients around finance at the start of the call? Message me privately. Put it in Zoom, whatever. And they do it and they say three, four. And at the end of the call, you go, how confident are you now to talk to your clients around funding, around finance? And they go seven, eight, nine. Most people jumped by double. You go from a four to an eight, a three to a six. That was our benchmark. We wanted them to double their scores. Is it something that they filled out before the workshop and then again after the workshop? Oh, no, I made them do it live on the workshop at the beginning. It was a way to get people engaged in it. Because, again, what I didn't want was passengers. Love it. The other thing I did was I called people out. I said at the beginning, like, if you're busy, if you've got other other stuff going on, go and do that. Right. Because I need 100% your attention. So I need you to agree with me to put your phones away, to turn off Slack and Teams, and focus on the screen. And I'll give you time to check your messages and everything, but is that okay? And I make them kind of put their thumbs up and go, yep, that's okay. I also made a rule that if you didn't have a microphone and a camera, you couldn't do the training. 
Yeah. Because I didn't want people just listening and doing like multitasking. No, I wanted people engaged in what we were doing. So again, if people turned up without cameras, I would say, look, please sort out and come back onto the next session because otherwise, so I learned to hold people to account. And guess what? You hold people to account, they focus, they double down, and again, the results increase. None of this is rocket science. Like none of this is game changing in the vast regards of I didn't reinvent the wheel. I didn't cure some disease. No pun intended. Obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic. But what it was, though, was honing a load of different crafts and a load of different ideas and putting them all together in a way. You know, sometimes like you can cook the same thing, have the same ingredients and you can cook 20 different meals with them. One of those meals will always be fantastic. The others, maybe not so much. I, what I did was I tried to work out the, the magic source of making this engaging and interesting and holding people to account and making it feel like the most important thing for that two hours. Because if you do that, then people engage. And then we had another problem. How do we keep them engaged after that? Because engagement curve is like this. I'm engaged. Other things going on. I'm engaged. Other things going on. We then had more problems to then, not problems, challenges, opportunities to grow their engagement further and take them on a further journey. I think the innovative part here is that most companies, when they have an adoption issue, they would invest in training about the product. I think you took a different route. You actually took it. Who are my end users? What is their preferred way of communication? Obviously, it's like on-site and personal training. And you provided content that was giving them new skill sets, if you will, for their teams. And with that, I want you to kind of double click on what was the impact on your customers? Because clearly on your business, you reported in your submission to the most innovative customer success initiative that you increased the engagement from an hour to an hour and a half average per month and that you had a 4.5 ESAT across the board and et cetera. But what was the ROI on the customers? What were customers saying after you launched the program, they went through it? The only ever metric for this is like, we are helping facilitate funding for businesses via accountants. So the only metric that ever matters in reality is how many clients we help. That's the key metric. It's not how many accountancy firms we get on board. It's not how much money do we lend. It's how many businesses do we help? And the answer was that number hockey stick. It yeah. started, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it started relatively modest. But then it did start to hockey stick. We did start to see more and more SME, small businesses, get funding, get support, get help. Case numbers double, then doubled again. And these were modest numbers to start, but they started to become significant numbers. And that for me was, that's for me is the success I didn't have to worry about the revenue of the business. That's the CEO's job. I don't have to worry about raising funding for the business. That's the COO and the CEO's job. I don't have to worry about building a great product. That's the CPO's job. What I had to worry about was making sure that our customers, our customers were engaging their clients. Yeah. And that so for me was fine. a success. Right. So yeah, 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 exactly that. So Perfect. yeah. And that spike. And that to me, that's when you walk away and go, right, job done. Like, yeah. That's where we nailed the magic sauce and got that going. Right. But, but you're right. I don't train product. That was that maybe was the innovative thing. I've never trained product. I don't like training product because I'm not a technical person. 
I'm someone that, that kind of, I like concepts. I like ideas. I like kind of skirting over something and then letting someone else go into the detail. For me to train product would be so boring. And like, <laughs> the first thing I say on the training, I'd go like, if you're expecting product training, this is not the webinar for you. This is about understanding how to talk to your clients, how to understand on a high level, the types of funding and why you would use them. That's okay. brilliant. I'm going to empower you to be comfortable. So my one, I ask people to take one thing away from the session, like two and a half hours. If you take one thing away, that's a, that's a win for me. And it wasn't different product names or different product types or anything like that. The one thing I asked them to take away was one sentence. And it was to ask every one of their customers one thing. What are your plans for your business over the next six to 12 months? Wow. Done. That was it. Done. And my argument to that and, and the reason behind that, the why, is because if you're asking that to every single one of your customers, not only will you uncover opportunities for funding, you'll uncover opportunities for all your services. Correct. And you'll uncover opportunities to help your clients grow. Yeah, point in case you were teaching them how to be customer success managers. Yeah, to their clients. but that's exactly what I was doing. <laughs> I was teaching them how to be customer success managers yeah. to their clients. Yeah. And do you know what? Our sales team, it's the first question I told them to ask our customers. Yeah. What are your plans for your firm over the next 12 to 24 months? Yeah. First question, why? Because we want to know if the timing for our product is right. Yeah. And if it's not right, guess what? We'll go away and we'll come back in 12 months' time. Okay, or six brilliant. months' time. So you launched initially just like a very rudimentary PowerPoint that evolved into a two-and-a-half-hour live session that was augmented with online training and on that produced many more funding cases on your platform, reduced churn from 15 to 5%, overall NPS score, I bet, increased? Absolutely. Yeah. We did, don't get me wrong. We There was always some challenges, but you can't please every firm. But yeah, our NPS score was really high, actually. Wow, that's awesome. And then really more and more clients rely on your platform to submit funding cases. So any kind of, to wrap up, any kind of lessons learned from this experience? And if you had to do it all over again, would you do anything differently? I think the biggest takeaway for me, and it's something that I say all the time, and it's a lesson that I've I've learned from being in smaller businesses and I'm trying to bring now to a bigger business and that's don't be afraid to fail but if you're going to fail fail fast and what I mean by that is try something if it works run with it evolve it adapt it modify it but if it fails don't worry about who's to blame or whose responsibility it was failure should not be a reason to attribute blame failure should be a reason to learn if you learn from that failure, if you learn from what didn't work and you do it quickly, the impact will be minimal to a business. So fail fast, but learn from that, evolve, do it again, just do it a little bit better next time. Do it a little bit differently. Improve on what didn't work. Just because you failed, I mean, the idea is wrong. Sometimes it's the execution that's wrong. And we did that. We went down a couple of dark alleys, didn't get there roll it back. Okay, try again. Got through. So I think that's the biggest lesson for me is always don't be afraid to fail. But if you are going to fail, fail fast, learn from it, evolve and get back out there and do it. And if you do that, you can't really go wrong. 
it's like you, you're constantly trying, constantly evolving, constantly doing different things. Absolutely. Phil, if people want to hear more from you, I am understanding you have a podcast or you're a host of the podcast. I've got a podcast where I'm currently, Walter Kluwer, Tax and Accounting UK, called Practice Evolution. So we talk to various industry experts, accountants, and understand the challenges that they're facing. On a side note, if anyone just likes to listen to my voice, I also have another podcast, which I do personally, which is a film podcast called Ross and Phil Talk Movies. So I'm a former filmmaker back in the day, now retired and gone on to working for big business. But we talk about movies a lot. So if you're a fan of films, I've got you covered. But the main one, Practice Evolution, uh, that's why I talk work stuff.